Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights here with Rich Klein. We're doing a tribute to our friend Frank Barning, a hobby icon, and passed away middle of last week. One of the real contributors to the hobby. But thanks, sponsors, Tops Panini, Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Huggins Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, Comsi.com, and then Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. So welcome, Rich. You knew Frank and Vivian, but Frank before I did, as well as probably tracked with more closely. I I, I don't never felt like he was a competitor of mine in, in any meaningful sense. I, I felt we were more friends, but you worked with him and for him in some sense. Yes. I, I did a lot of work on the East Coast when they moved to San Diego. I became the unofficial East Coast rep and I would do all the Willow Grove shows, sometimes by myself, sometimes with some help. And a lot of times, either Frank or Vivian or Wolf Crowell, the advertising director, would come in. And we always had your favorite player fishbowl set up at many shows, which was a mutually good thing because it would help pay for my tables, but it was used for their mailing list too. So a mutually good business deal. Yesterday, I posted when I got the news, courtesy of your email, what happened? I posted on Facebook a quick one paragraph tribute. And some of the people who have responded you know, and put comments in my Facebook page. It's it's a, like a who's who of hobby people, and I'm not going to name everyone, but how about Mike Kramer? Mike Kramer made a post about how much he's going, you know, yeah. you know, to miss him. And there's also Kip Young made a post. Those are guys that were, I guess, contemporaries of ours. And, and they Frank, are. Frank was a little bit older than us, Rich, I mean, older than me and older than you. But, you know, he was a lifer. I think even when he wasn't doing the publication. He was still into the hobby. And even in retirement, it seemed like they, and he loved baseball. That's one of the things. Some more people, Lou Brown, Marty Appel, Mike Jasperson, Herb Ross, Wayne Grove, Everett Cope. It's a veritable who's who of hobby icons of the 80s and 90s and 70s. It's wonderful to see all these names come together. Oh, that's great. Now it's all off your post for on... Uh, and it's all off my post. Or Facebook or where? On Facebook. As I said, it was like a Twitter-style post on Facebook. And there are tons more comments. So, so anybody whose name I did not mention, I'll apologize. But to me, one of the great things about Frank is he went to Hofstra. And he worked in the sports information department. And at the time, the assistant, and he later became the sports information director of Columbia, was somebody he worked with at Hofstra named Bill Steinman. And in case you're wondering about the Steinman name, Yes, that is the older brother of Jim Steinman, who you might know for being the, basically, I don't want to say the brains, but basically the co-worker with Meatloaf, Bat Out of Hell album, and then many other great songs of the 70s, 80s, and into the 90s. So there's even a music connection with Frank. He just passed, but didn't Meatloaf just pass? Jim Stein, Meatloaf passed this year, Jim Steinman passed last year. But, you know, with Frank and Vivian, they were a true partnership. And they had ups and downs in their lives, but they always did good things. They always wanted to put the hobby first. They wanted to make a living. Don't get me wrong. They, you know, they did quite well for themselves, but they always made sure the hobby came first. Do you think that makes the title they chose especially meaningful? Because there was a baseball card news at the time, Trader Speaks, Sports Collectors Digest, but Baseball Hobby News. Were yes. they, it seemed like they were really true to that. Yes, they were, because they understood that most of the people who read their publication, especially when they began, there were very few full-time people. In fact, they weren't even full-time until maybe a six months or a year after they began the publication. And there, I remember maybe issue eight, issue nine, issue 10, 
there's a little note about who is like maybe now 10 or 12 more people have gone full-time and then they, and including us. It was like the final sentence. Even you didn't really go full-time with Beckett Monthly for what, eight months or a year after? But if you call getting a paycheck, it was two years. But, so two years. But, but, but I had other stuff going on. I wasn't That's in the what car, I mean. but I wasn't taking any money out either. But I was just wondering, we did an episode 50, which has now been more than two years ago. We did a, a then and now about baseball hobby news there, the Barnings kind of baby that grew up and really blessed a lot of people. It was a, a real key publication back in the day. Um, I, I was just wondering, are we affirming that Frank was a creative guy and the writer guy and Vivian was more administrative? Because there's a number of ideas they came up with, like you say, at the show, in their publications that were, that they I did some cool stuff. I think it was a partnership. Frank was a newspaper reporter and worked, as I said, in SID. Vivian was a school teacher. Yeah. So they probably had a mix and it's a true partnership, but Vivian could write. Vivian had a monthly column. She wrote just fine. So we don't want to slack her in any way. She was very good at writing. It wasn't that she couldn't write. She wrote very well and she had to do more. She would have done more. We also, even with a small company, you have to have somebody doing the books each month and keeping an eye. The other story that I told in that back episode 50 was how at the 84 National, I was still not positive how I was going to go with starting what became Beckett Baseball Card Monthly and really strongly considered working with Frank and Vivian. I guess now on further reflection, I'm just thinking, I really didn't understand, and this wasn't a huge negative or anything, but even now, I didn't really understand their chain. And when you're working with your wife or your husband, then yeah, it's a partnership, but somebody's making the call and I obviously, maybe not so obviously, but I was obviously, de- I'm trying to deal with the guy just because I, as a married man, I prefer to deal with other guys in my dealings, but but I dealt with Frank mainly, but I knew that Vivian was right there, but my phone calls were with Frank about that. I'm not sure exactly how it worked, but I bet you that you would talk to Frank first. I talked to Frank more than I talked to Vivian for the same reason it was. It was easier for us as guys to talk to guys. I want to say something. And we're talking about Frank once said something to me, and this is after he started working and writing the columns for SCD. And and one of the things about the columns, and and we touched upon this when I talked about who's who, is Frank brought collectors together. Those columns always had somebody's email addresses he wasn't getting on the phone anymore. He says everything is being done via email because then he could edit, copy, paste. It was a lot easier for him to doing email. And he told me at the time, and I think Randy was still with us at the time at Beckett, is that Beckett will survive longer than Krause. And the reason Beckett will survive longer than Krause is you guys are way ahead of them in terms of, we'll call technical stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know, because as I wrote in an article once in, Sports Collectors Daily, a big bear of a man named Mark Harwell helped push you to be much more technical. Yeah. And so anyway, the other thing is, Frank was a Dodger guy, not a Yankee guy. His favorite player was Gil Hodges. He doesn't get to see the induction into the Hall of Fame, but he lived long enough to see that Gil Hodges was finally and rightfully elected into the Hall of Fame. And I'm glad that one of his lifetime wishes got honored. He used to do his barnstorming uh, column, and I was just looking through the internet, and he he continued that even after he didn't have the publication doing things for other people. But one of the things was about 10 years ago, he had an article about his favorite card, which is the 53 Bowman Color Pee Wee Reese. That's a heck of a good card, by the way. Which is a heck of a good card. But (laughs) what he said, and I never knew Frank to be an exaggerator. That's one of the reasons I could strongly consider going into business with him, which I really considered because he wasn't really a hype. He he was a hobbyist with some technical skills. But he mentions in this article that he wrote 
is that over the course of the years, he and Vivian had handled or had 50 of the Reese 53 Bowman colors, now in various conditions, and they kept the nicest one. Now, maybe that's gone now, too. But I, I think some younger collectors might think, well, that is, what a liar. No one could have 50 of those. But back in the day, you really could. They weren't as expensive, and it was always an attractive card. And I think they knew they could always buy them and move them because they weren't hoarding them. It's just that when they saw it, I guess they picked it up and, and moved it along. But that's an iconic card. And it's in the Baseball Card Hall of Fame, which is... And, and rightly, and one of my favorite stories, it's one of the few things I wish I had purchased in my life. I think Ace Marshak, when he was with us, had the 1947 magazine in which the original photo was from. And I didn't buy it at the time. And I'm just like, okay, I'm. it's not like a holy grail because it's not like... But wouldn't it be nice to have the magazine with the original photo or just even the original magazine page with the original photo they used for that card six years later? It's still a great card. It doesn't matter if the photo is 47 or 52 or 53. It's just a really cool card. I think the, the photo is older than 52 or something. Yeah, the photo is 47, if I remember correctly. Something like that. And, and Frank actually did some research about that and thought that it might have been Frenchie Bradager, the old Dodger guy. But one of the great things about Frenchie is Frenchie was until the, we'll call it the more modern era, he was one of the last players ever to have a mustache. mustache. He was out of step. But. He was very out of step. And of course, there's a famous thing where he was taking a very short lead off first base and he got picked off and he was like tapping the bag. And his excuse when he got picked off was, a, it must have caught me between taps. Like I said, it's a great card and there's a lot of great stories that go with it. And that's what makes it a hobby. And the thing to remember is Frank loved baseball. They had season tickets to the Padres. They would go to games. They loved going to the games. Granted, in San Diego, going to a game at night is a beautiful experience. But they loved being at the game. And Frank tells a story, we're talking about Gil Hodges, where I believe he sat with either Joan or Gil's son, and they just sat talking as fans. No autographs or anything, just sitting talking as fans. It might have even been Gil watching his son play. Whatever it was, it was that he honored and treasured that chat as much as a meeting rather than actually doing anything to show like an autograph for today would be a selfie. He, he also tells a story of going to the ball game and sitting next to, I, I think it was with, with Vivian and Pee Reese and somebody else. And I guess I don't do it that way. I need to be broader in my thoughts of who I'm going to go to the game with or who well, I'm sitting I next to. Back in high school, because I, mean, I went to one of these type of high schools, we did a production of Fiddler on the Roof. And it's still the best version I ever remembered. It. And I was in 10th grade. And to me, it's better than the musical on Broadway, just because it was done even simpler, because they don't have the you know money for the movie or the big Broadway stage stuff. And sitting two, two seats down from me is Dustin Hoffman and his then wife. And it was like, yeah. And then I'm thinking, okay, about... Oh, 10 years later, a friend of mine, he was a car for real collector, but he was also head of the New York City. And I, I told you about him. And when I first moved down there, and you may have spoken to him once or twice, he was head of the New York City Theater Ticket Seller Union or something like that. And so one day he got me, to, he knew I loved Linda Ronstadt, that's so why he got me tickets to her show. And sitting next to me is Meryl Streep. So again, these are one of these yeah. things you can't make up. <laughs> and uh, Just uh, as we... You know, wrap up here. Do you have any concerns for Vivian? I mean, it's, it's no Vin, a, financially no. And I just they have fifty years of marriage plus. I would think I don't have any financial concerns, and she's always been resilient. Maybe Randy might have to move someday back from Austin to take care of her, but I'm not worried about her in terms of that. Is she's very resilient. She's tough minded. I, I don't worry about that. Remember, Frank had been sick on and off for many years. 
So she's already used to that. I know that he, about five, six years ago, he was in a rehab place. Speaking of that, one of the things he did is he really helped connect all the people back from his high school way back in the day on Facebook. He really was very active in connecting everybody. Do you think Baseball Hobby News put some pressure on our company as well as Krause to be more news-oriented? Because Krause at one point with SCD was just so ad-driven that the editorial was just an afterthought, it seemed. And our publications were mainly about price guides, but Baseball Hobby News was all about the news of the hobby. I think there's oh, it was also a lot of great columnists. There are people like Richard West who commented on my Facebook page. I saw Tom Henningsen, Daryl Berger did book reviews, Nick Edson had columns. I think one of the things that pressured SCD to do was have better columnists because not everything was all newsy because sometimes there weren't a lot of news. Sometimes it was, hey, it was writing. We need to get better columnists. Yes, we're ad-driven, but we better have some editorial because I think there were certain rules at the time about how to be to ship just do the you you do the mailing from the postal service the way you do it you had to have a certain percent of editorial content exactly to get your second class mailing permit yes. okay because you've been on the receiving end of this who paid the most for these articles back in the 80s was it frank was it scd was it our company who was paying uh, for these columnists. You, when it came to me, you paid more. I hired you, Rich. I'm not counting that. I'm talking about just for- <laughs> Even before for I was hired, you paid more. For, for freelance. So we had a larger circulation as well. Wow. But but Frank uh, really seemed to have very loyal columnists. So you're saying it wasn't about the money. No, basically, they, they knew that if they needed editing, it would be very professionally edited. They knew any editing would be well done. And even when I wrote my, we'll call it the dealer responses, those were not paid for, by the way. When I did the dealer things with the comments, those were not paid for. But even then, I knew that anything I wrote, if needed to be edited, would be edited properly. Instead of just chopping off. Instead of just chopping <laughs> off. I knew it'd be edited I hear properly. I, hear, I hated that. Thanks, Rich. Thanks for reminiscing about our friend Frank. He's missed our best to Vivian and Randy and those who, who, who uh, loved and appreciated Frank as well. So void in the hobby. And it's up to us guys to carry on. So thanks, Rich Klein. Thanks, listeners. Be back again tomorrow with another episode.